execute it to somebody next to you, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a question with you, and you're going to talk to somebody next to you about this question, okay? And I get to pick the question. We used to do this all the time. We do it once in a while now, but, but I choose the question, and you are obligated to answer it with somebody near you, okay? So here's the question. Share with the person next to you a secret. Now, why are you laughing, Judy? Share with the person next to you a secret. Okay, that's not the real question, all right? The real question is this. Does the prospect of somebody sharing a secret with you excite you? Or does the prospect of you having to share a secret cause a lot of fear in your heart? Okay, so which are you? Are you the kind of person like, oh, a secret, I'd like to hear that. Or are you like, a secret, man, I don't think I want to do that. So which are you, okay? Talk to somebody next to you and say, this is how I felt when he said that. Go ahead. All right, couple of announcements, couple of announcements before I get back to that. A few other things I needed to mention, okay? First of all, we do have seniors lunch this Friday at noon at Hosses. Would love to have you come out for that. If you uh, see yourself as a senior, you're invited, okay? So Friday at noon. I've gone many times, and, and I, I don't know if I'm a senior or not, but I'll be there. So Friday at noon. Also, after the service today, let me say a word about this. After the service today, um, I'd like to meet with any parents who are interested in being part of our parent-child dedication service next Sunday. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and something that we do a lot of times on Mother's Day is we have an opportunity for, for parents who have a child, and they just say, I am willing to stand in front of my congregation and say, as God enables me, I'm going to point my child to Jesus Christ in his word. There's nothing, nothing magical that happens. It's honestly just a commitment there's a value in making a commitment. There's a value in making a public commitment. And so we're going to do that next Sunday during our service. If you'd be interested in either just gathering information about that or even be part of that, meet me in the library, which is right, behind, right down this hallway to the right, after the service today, and um, I'd love to talk with you about that. So I think that's most everything. Um, but let's get to your secret. So how'd you feel? Oh, some of us were like, yeah, juicy secret. I want to hear that. And other of us were, I'm not sure I want to share. You know, personality comes out, doesn't it? It really does. I want to share a secret with you today. I got a secret for you. It's a life-changing secret. And we'll get there in just a minute. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians. Now, we've been away from it for about five weeks. We're coming back now, okay? And we're going to hit in chapter 3 today, and we'll charge on through chapter 3 in just a week or two. Well, probably two or three weeks. And then we'll get into chapter 4, where, where Paul now tells us, as we are in Christ, what should be true of us? You might remember that the first three chapters dealt a lot with our belief, and that's where we are right now. And we talked about how our belief drives our behavior. Our behavior, the way that we live, is a reflection of what it is that we believe. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a lot of us get off, you know, we get fixated on changing what we do. But what the Bible is clear about, and what God has indicated throughout his word, is our, our behavior is driven by our belief. If you want to see what you believe, look at how you behave. 
It reveals. It reveals. And so what we saw and what we've been seeing is the, Ephesian, the book of Ephesians, which is the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And as, as we have received this and translated it, we've divided it up into six chapters. Now, Paul didn't write a big six above the sixth paragraph. You know, this is chapter six. This is just a letter, a long letter. And as we've seen, as we've studied it, the first three chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, right around 60 verses, okay, thereabouts. And in all of that time, in all of those three chapters, we're only told to do one thing. In three chapters of, of, this whole, of, of this book, so in half of this book, we're only told to do one thing. And that one thing that we're told to do is simply remember what we used to be. That's the only command in all of the first three chapters of Ephesians. You remember who you were. So you see, God's Spirit is calling to change our belief. To change what we believe. Now when we change a page from chapter 3 to chapter 4, now we're going to talk a lot about how our lives should reflect that. But we're still in the belief section right now. And what I want to share with you is honestly a, a mystery, is what the Bible calls it. And in reality, this mystery is a mandate. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 13. And then we'll try to understand it. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then there's a pause. Now you need to know, just, just as we read this so we understand. Verses 2 through 13 are, are almost like they're an inspired distraction. Paul is starting to pray for the believers and the Spirit of God inspires him to be distracted to something else. So in reality, verses 2 through 13, you can put these in parentheses, okay? Paul was reminded of something as he's getting ready to pray. He's reminded of great truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what he was reminded of. You can see in verse number 14, see it there? For this reason I bow my knees, he gets back to his prayer. So we're going to see what distracted Paul. What grabbed his attention and, and, and allowed him to write down truth for us? Let's read it now, verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, Paul writes, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then Paul says, let me get back to where I was going. And he starts into his prayer. Now let's try to unpack this. Look at the last verse I read. He said, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now Paul here is in prison. And these people that he's writing to love him. So they're concerned for him. And he's saying, don't you lose heart. Don't you lose heart. I'm suffering, but don't you lose heart. I haven't. I haven't lost heart. That's what he's saying. I got my heart. I'm strong. Don't you lose heart. You know, this world is a mess. This world is a mess. Read any newspaper. Turn on your computer. Turn on your television. You will quickly find that this world is a mess. Now, some messes are, are, are handable. You know, you can, you, can, you can handle them. At my house on Saturdays, oh, when my dad didn't work on Saturdays, I knew what was coming, okay? I knew what was coming. I'd be laying in my bed, okay? You know, sleeping in at my house was like 5.30 in the morning. Just kidding, that's not really true, okay? But sleeping in to like maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock, and then I'd hear him coming down the hallway, okay? And down he would come, and he'd come to the door, what are you doing in bed? And he would always say this, get out of bed and clean up this mess. Now that's a mess I could tackle. I could clean up my bedroom, right? What do we do about the mess of this world? What do we do? I mean, just watch the news. What, what do you do about, you know, North Korea and, and, the, and life, our health insurance and our economy and the, the presidential election? And, and then you, you go on to Facebook and you see videos of all kinds of horrible things happening right here in our community. What do you do about it? Now, people usually respond one of three ways. You guys respond in different ways to the idea of a secret. People respond a couple different ways to the mess of this world. Some people are just in absolute despair. Okay? Absolute despair. You know, the sky is falling. It's all coming to an end. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and they're in complete despair. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your personality. When you see that the world is a mess. Other people are in absolute denial. You know these people? I mean, they, they just fill themselves up with other things. It's like, turn up the music so I can't see it. Right? You got some people that go into despair. Some people go into denial. And others of you maybe go just determination. We're going to fix it. If we could just educate more. If we could just put the right man in office. If we could just have the right policy. Where do you, where do you stand? Any of those three? The world's a mess. Despair? Denial? Determination? All three groups agree. 
All three groups agree that the world is a mess. But all three groups have forgotten something. They have forgotten God. They have forgotten God. Listen, the world is a mess. But don't lose heart. There is a God. He has a plan. And everything is working exactly the way that he wants it to. It is accomplishing exactly what he wants it to do. There is a God. He has a plan. And he's inviting you to join it. He's inviting you to join his plan. And the plan here is called a mystery. Let's try to understand this, okay? Let's try to understand this mystery. Do you see the word mystery that came up over and over and over and over? What is this? Are we talking like Scooby-Doo? You know, in that van? I grew up on Scooby-Doo. You know, and Fred and Thelma and all them, right? Is, is that what this is? Is that? No, no. Let me define mystery for you, okay? Mystery in the Bible. It's a word that's used throughout your Bible, and it's, imper- it's pretty important you know what it is. It, it's not a whodunit. It's not a whodunit mystery. It's not, we don't know the answer. We've got to find the clues to find it. That's not what it is at all. When you see the word mystery, as in verse number three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. You need to know this. I remember it this way. It's a secret. It's a secret. It's a sacred secret now revealed. A sacred secret now revealed. The word mystery is a a Greek literary term. Paul wrote your New Testament in Greek. And the word mystery was a literary term. And it meant that it's, it, is a, it is a truth that has always been true. It's always been true. But until this time, it really hasn't been revealed. Some, some people define it this way. Let me give you like an official definition of what a mystery is. It's a divine reality which can now be known only through supernatural means. Did you catch that? A divine reality which can only be known through supernatural means. Let's see it in the Bible here, okay? Paul says, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Do you see that? Revelation means that God has moved into the world and revealed a truth that was not known before. So Paul is saying, I have something to say to you. It has been revealed to me by God. It's always been true. It's not like it wasn't true before now. It's always been true, but now it has been made known because God has told me it. And I'm passing it on to you. Now there are several mysteries in your Bible, okay? Remember, that's not a whodunit. All right, it's not a whodunit. It's not, you know, it's not who's wearing the mask that acted like a ghost in Scooby-Doo. Okay, that's not a little hint. It's always the first new character. Okay, always in every Scooby-Doo episode. It's always that. That's not what it means here. Okay, let's think about these. We have the incarnation. In 1 Timothy 3, you can turn there if you want to. I'll tell you what it says. It says, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. This was something that was always true. Jesus was going to come to earth. 
But before he came, it had not been revealed completely. And so the Jewish people missed it like crazy. Not all of them. It had been always been true he was going to do that, but it had been hidden completely. Another mystery we have is the very gospel. The gospel is called a mystery in Colossians 4. The church in Romans 13, it says the mystery will be completed. And the mystery here is that God is drawing people to himself. And then listen to this mystery. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Now listen to this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Here's the mystery that Paul is telling us. There's coming a time where the Lord Jesus is going to return. And those in Christ who are alive will be taken with him into heaven. Those in Christ who have died will be resurrected from their graves to go be with the Lord. God had inspired that message. God had communicated that to Paul, who then communicated it to us. And before Paul told us that, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, before Paul told us that, man was not aware of that. It was always true that God was going to do this. But now it had been revealed by supernatural means. So that's what a mystery is it's something that has always been true but now God has opened up our eyes to see it let me tell you a mystery here's a mystery I grew up in a very religious home I grew up in a home that we went to church all the time I knew all the Sunday school stories I was kind of sharp. I was kind of smart. So I could, you know, I knew the pictures. I I could tell the stories. I knew about Samson and David and, you know, and all these. I knew all the stories. I knew about Jesus. I knew about Paul. I knew he had died. And Jesus said he had died and placed in a tomb. and, And I knew that he had died on a cross in some way for sins and was resurrected. I knew all the facts. But God's spirit had not opened up my eyes to the truth that I needed to receive what Jesus had done. So the very gospel was a mystery. You see that? It had always been true. It had always been true that Jesus came to his own, his own received him not, but to those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. That had always been true. But I had not heard it in a way that I understood it. The Spirit of God had not allowed me to understand that. And so on that day when I was 15 years old, as a teenager, the mystery was revealed to me. God's Spirit drew me to himself and I received Christ. I believed on Jesus and received his forgiveness and I was made a new creature. That's when the Bible uses the word mystery, that's what it means. Now let's see this mystery in this passage. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. See, here's the mystery. Go ahead and give me another slide. The mystery that in Ephesians is that God is offering forgiveness. 
God is offering forgiveness, but he has always done that. So what's the mystery? Here's what it is. Now we see that God is offering forgiveness to all people regardless of who they are. There are no special people in God's eyes. God doesn't have a a, a sacred few that he says, the gospel is for you. Forgiveness is for you. You keep it. Now, that's the mystery that has now been revealed. It's always been true that the gospel was for all men. But now, in a brand new way, we see that it's open to all. You see, here's how it worked. Now, just follow with me through this, this biblical history. God had chosen to take the Jewish people. And he said, I will make you a light to the nations. Isaiah 42. I will make you a light to the nations. So God, Romans 9, chose these people, the Jewish people. He gave them a special relationship with him. He gave them his word. He gave them great prophets who spoke of God. And he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that message to the whole world. You take that message to the whole world. And what did they do with it? They didn't obey. They kept it for themselves. And they said, I got a secret. And they made the gospel a mystery. Unveiled, no, I'll keep it. They made the gospel a mystery. Now, the Gentiles didn't do much better. So that was the Jewish people. Then you have the non-Jewish people called the Gentiles. God revealed things to them too. Through creation, through conscience, Romans 1, Romans 2. And guess what? The Gentiles failed as well. They see creation, they hear their conscience, and what do they do? Romans 1, Romans 2 says, they worship the created. So there is no distinction, Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether Jew or Gentile, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now what Paul is saying is, listen, God is doing a, a brand new thing here. It wasn't revealed before, but now it's here. And here's what it is. The gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Now, this was an unheard of thought. For the Jews, look at verse number six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The racial divide between the Jew and the Gentile, when Paul wrote this, was, is nothing like anything we can ever imagine. They literally would spit at one another. The Jew felt that way about the Gentile. The Gentile felt that way about the Jew. They hated one another. And the idea that they would now come together as a group was completely unheard of. The the best we can do to even start to get there is is plop yourself down in 1860 America and take a group of white people and take a group of black people down in Georgia, South Carolina, someplace like that, where the racism and slavery had its way, and say, you two will be a body together, loving one another, caring for one another, treating each other like brothers and sisters. What would they say in 1835, Georgia? No way. No way. 
way. Impossible. Impossible. And that's what God is doing. That's the mystery that has been unveiled. That God takes people like us, sinful, different, selfish, demanding my way, thinking I'm right, you're wrong, and brings us together. And notice in verse number six, notice the commonality here. Fellow heirs, members of the same body, and same partakers of this promise. Go with me to the Garden of Eden. Go with me to the Garden of Eden. Are you there in your mind? So God makes man. Okay? Before the fall, God looked at him and said, it's not good that man is alone, right? I will make him what? A helper, suitable for him. So first God made man. He created man, Adam. And then God did a supernatural work. And when he took the rib of Adam and fashioned Eve, you know what he made? He made community. He made community. God made man. Then God made Eve. So now God made community. And then sin entered the world and killed both. Both. Sin destroyed man and destroyed community. And we go into Genesis 3 and 4 and community is crushed. Brother killing brother. Family members warring against one another. People rising up against each other. Races of people hating each other. So the idea that God would do this work of bringing people together seemed impossible. But but God now has said this to Paul. And he's saying, you take the gospel to all people. Is this still relevant today? I believe it is 100% true. Even it's a reality today. Listen, you know as well as I do. There are people that we rub shoulders with. And here's what they think about you and me. Here's what they think. Let me fill in the blanks for them. They think you're a Christian. And that's well and fine for you. But I'll do my thing. You'll be a Christian and that's fine for you. But I'll do my thing. And actually, some Christians feel that way. Wrongly. Sinfully. They think, I'm a believer and that's fine for me. And you do your own thing. And in reality, when we do that, when we think that, when we live that, when we believe that, our behavior is creating the very barrier that Paul was being led of God to demolish. This gospel that you know that you are a container of. That's the passage that Pastor Brock read. We, we, have this, we have this message in us. And we are to take it to all the world. Because it is the only way that man can know God. This is the sacred secret now revealed. God has one means for man to be in relationship with God. I want to say just a quick word about these three phrases, okay, in verse number six. That now Gentiles and Jews, now you say, who is that? That's everybody. It's everybody. 
Everyone on earth, every human that's ever lived is either Jewish or not. So it's everybody. Jews and Gentiles. The world then, quick, you know, it, it, it clearly divided into Jews and Gentiles. Today it doesn't really work that way. But the point is, this is everybody. Now everybody, this mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs together. Heirs. What is an heir? Heir is one who receives from another. Galatians says that, that we are not just slaves We are sons. And if sons, then heirs. So what this means is, the most dirty, rotten person you can come up with, however you define that. Got them in your mind? When they come to Christ, you and they are now fellow sons and daughters of God. And then it says, same body, same body, members of the same body. Look back at chapter 1, verse number 22 and 23. Look what it says, 22. And he put, Jesus put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills All in all. One body. Here's what this means. What is a body? Think about it. What is a body? Let me give you a definition of a body. Okay? A body is the means for a spirit to operate on this world. The body is the means for a spirit to operate on this world, is it not? You are a spirit, you have a body, your body is the means for your spirit to operate on this world. And this passage says that we are his body. So we are the means for the spirit of Christ to operate on this world. We, the believers, And what Paul is saying is, this is everyone. There are no special people in God's plan. You're not special. God didn't say, you're my favorite person, so I'll bring you to me. God has opened up all the world, all the world to this gospel. And we are all partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are all promised people. First Peter says, Do, you need to be prepared to give people for the hope. Give the reason that is for the hope that is in you. Folks, this is the mystery. People in the past, when, when given a secret, when given a secret... They've kept it for themselves. But this is a sacred secret meant to be shared. It's a mystery that's meant to be unveiled. It's a truth that we are mandated to take to the earth. That all people have one means of coming to the Lord. And it is only through Jesus. John 14, 6, you know what? Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me, Jesus said. This is true then. It's true now. Go back to our passage. Verse number seven. Paul writes, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. That's quite a statement for him to say that, isn't it? This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in it in God who created all things. Now, verse number 10 is what I need us to catch today. Because this verse number 10 is quite significant. And if you don't, I tell you, if you don't think here, you're going to miss a very important truth. Verse number 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Folks, what I'm getting ready to tell you from verse number 10 Anybody else outside of Christ who hears me explain verse number 10 is going to say, you are a weirdo. Do you really believe that? When I explain verse number 10, you're going to think I'm foolish and I'm an idiot. That's what they called Peter. That's what they called Paul. Uneducated men. They called John an uneducated man. An idiot because he believes this. Let me explain to you what verse number 10 is saying. It's saying this, that there is an audience. There is an audience, folks. There, there is a drama being played out. And on this drama stage, there is a director, and there is a writer, and there are actors who are, who are acting out this drama written. And there is an audience who is watching. Where are you? Who are you? Are you a spectator in all of this? Is all this going on to enjoy, you know, so your enjoyment for, for you to just watch it and just appreciate? Is that why we are here? Are we here just to enjoy what is here? No. Folks, we're not the audience. We're the actors. We're on the stage. But the actors here will blow your mind. Verse number 10. Any idea who they are? It says that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Rulers and authorities is a, is a very technical word. It's a, it's a word that speaks of a rank structure. And it's always used of angelic beings. Angelic, I'm talking angels now, folks, okay? I'm talking angels. What this is showing us is that watching this drama unfold of what God has done, what God has written, what God is directing, his people now the body, his people now the means for his spirit to work on this earth, they're watching our angelic beings and as they watch us 
living out what Christ calls us to, you know what they do? They fall down and worship, folks. They fall down and worship. Not to the actors. No, no, no. See, it's not Hollywood. They don't worship the actors. That doesn't make any sense. All they're doing is reciting lines, right? That's all they do is recite lines. Why don't we clap for actors? They don't do anything. They just tell what somebody else told them to say. We should be, we should be applauding the writer, the director. That's God here. The actors are out doing what God encourages him to do, leads us to do, directs us to do, and the angels are there watching If you don't believe this, write down these references. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 17. Speaking of angels, Daniel calls them the watchers. Daniel 4, 17. The angels are there in Job 38, before the foundations of the earth, watching God create the earth, and they sing songs of praise when the angels see what God does. It goes on from there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10, Paul is explaining how we are to have authority in our church and in our lives. We're to have authority in our church. There are to be leaders in a church. And it's almost like the, those that heard hear Paul, they hear Paul say, there should be leadership in your church. And they say, well, why? Why, Paul? Why should there be leadership? And Paul clears it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 10. You know what he says? Because of the angels. Oh, that really clears it up. Thanks, Paul. We should have authority because of the angels. What? What? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn over a couple pages. You've got to see this one. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number 12. Now, verse number 12 starts out with the word it in my Bible. And when you see what that pronoun means, it's talking about this very plan of salvation. We're talking about the mystery again. We're talking about the mystery. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who have, listen, preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Angels now long to look. It's almost like Peter is saying the gospel that God would send his son that the son in all of his glory the eternal one who spoke and man existed that he would become a man and die on a cross though he never sinned would die for sinners? The, the, the angels are there saying, no, this doesn't make any sense. I, I, I long to understand this, the angels are saying. You see, the gospel and our obedience of proclaiming it brings great glory to God on an eternal stage. I picture in heaven right now, 
I'm going to tell you this. What I'm going to share with you right now brings great joy to my heart. Because sometimes following Christ is tough, right? Because this world is a mess, is it not? And it's filled with people who are messy and bring messes into our lives, don't they? But I can't get too high and mighty because I bring messes into their lives as well. And when I live for Christ, and when I, when I, when I take a stand for Jesus and I proclaim him, and I obey him, And even when I stand here right now in front of this table and proclaim Christ, I know because of Ephesians 3, because of 1 Peter 1, that God in heaven is being glorified. That the angels are around God. And they're saying, you are awesome, God. Look what you did. You took stinking little Mickey McDonald. And you died for him. And you made him a new creature. And now you've brought him to life. You've made him alive. And you've even got him up now in front of people talking about you. The guy who used to, when I was in sixth grade, we would have to do these little speeches. Remember the public speeches? Everyone in my class laughed at me. You know why? Because I would walk up front. You'll catch me doing this once in a while if you watch. And my face would glow so red because I feared to stand in front of people and speak. I take zeros on speeches because I was tired of being laughed at. No, I ain't doing it. That was me. I'm telling you, you, did, you wouldn't know me then. You don't know that. Angels and God do. And in this moment, in all of my weakness, God is glorified. And in your moments, in all of your weakness, when you don't give up on God, when you keep waiting for him to work, When you share him one more time. When you courageously go ahead and step off the end of that plank. And you don't know what's what's there. When you go ahead and you keep going. God. In all of his greatness. Ephesians 3. In all of his manifold Wisdom. Same word that Septuagint used to describe Joseph's coat. His colorful wisdom. Like white light through a prism. In all of his manifold wisdom. The very rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Fall down and worship God. This world is a mess. I know, it's a mess. Don't despair. Don't deny. Don't be determined that you're going to fix it. That removes God from the equation. You just simply do what God called for you to do. It's really rather simple. It's not that complex. It's pretty foundational. 
Just point people to Jesus. See, in verse number 12, Paul says, because of all these things, we have boldness. We have boldness. It's not about response. It's not, I don't have to worry how people respond. I'm going to be bold. I can access with confidence the very God of the universe. He's the director of this play. He chose me for this part. He said, I choose you. Come, this is your role. You say, I, I can't do it. I don't have the skill. I don't have the background. I don't have the education. I don't, I don't have the experience. God says, don't worry. I'm the sovereign God of the universe and I chose you. Come, I'll be the director. I'll be the director. So, Paul says, I ask you, don't lose, over, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. God has a plan. Likewise, don't you lose heart over what God is suffering. God has a great, a manifold plan. And folks, it changes everything. It changes everything. Our purpose revealed. That's why Paul can say in verse number one, I, Paul, and look what he says. Did you catch that? A prisoner, and honestly, it's better translated of. It's, it's, it's a possessive word. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Do not lose your heart. Paul says, I'm not losing my heart. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Some might say, Paul, no, 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 no. You're a prisoner of the Jews. Remember, they arrested you. They said you brought a Gentile into the temple, so they arrested you. Others might say, no, 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 Paul. You're a prisoner of the Romans. Remember, you said I'm a Roman citizen, so they protected you and arrested you so the Jews wouldn't kill you. Somebody say, no, 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 Paul, you're a prisoner of Nero. Because remember, you said, I am a citizen of Rome. I want to stand before Caesar. So they took you off there, and now you're there at Rome. And you're looking forward to being before Nero. And Paul says, no, I'm not a prisoner of those peons. I'm not a prisoner of those peons. They're not in control. God is. What's your sufferings? What's the great an eternal drama that God has written because he's invited you to step onto the stage and proclaim his glory. Let's talk to him. Father in heaven, Lord, you've made us alive. Thank you, Father. Lord, let us live for your glory. Let us demonstrate your goodness. Let us show a watching world of men and angels that your riches are unsearchable. Your wisdom is bright, multifaceted, Lord. You demonstrate your power to all of creation. You said yourself, if we don't worship you, even the rocks will. All of creation cries out to you and says, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are 
God. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be part of your great plan. In Jesus' name, amen.